Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for our next episode of Mixed Messages with Jeff Bogue. I'm sitting next to Jeff Bogue, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! Jeff Bogue in the house. <laughs> and my name is Joe Caruso, and I'll be your host as we dig into today's topic that is also in the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, from news sources to comedians, friends to advertisements, it seems everyone has an idea of how we should think and live and make decisions. But when everyone disagrees, how do we cut through the noise? How do we sift through all that information overload and choose what actually governs our lives? As we pray and process these things, we want to offer a resource to navigate some of the day's most pressing topics and questions. Jeff's already in the house, so yes. hey, how are you? I'm doing good, Joe. How are you? Excellent. I'm feeling a little lethargic, if I'm being oh, honest. I'm sorry. But, yeah. Is it the loaf of bread you ate for lunch? It's not. The, uh, it, the, the loaf of bread is actually um, pe- pepperoni pizza and way too much cheese on a salad. And if you're from the Akron area, you know where to get way too much cheese on a salad. Luigi's. Luigi's yeah, so the, they put so much cheese. Like, there's more cheese than salad. I love it. Uh, and I love but it. But when you can scoop cheese off of your salad by yeah. the handful. Yeah. And it, it's funny, because I would say the same thing. There's more cheese than salad. But as a person that was just there uh, three hours ago... Um, it's technically not true. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, but it probably is at least a third cheese. It's a lot. It's a lot of cheese. I bet you if you weighed the salad oh, and weighed the cheese. It, oh, I mean, lettuce is already so light. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of cheese. And well, I think my body Joe, is revolting for eating so much dairy. If Joe passes out in the middle of this podcast, I will emergently step in and take over. Excellent. I know CPR. <laughs> No, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'll just step in and take over the podcast. Thank you for your... <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Jeff, we have another submitted question today from one of our listeners, and uh, they recently listened to some of our um, most up-to-date episodes on religious differences and what's the true church, and they mentioned that you briefly referenced prosperity preachers in one of these episodes, and they were hoping that we could elaborate on how we that are trying to follow Jesus should respond to those teachings. For instance, uh, they know that a lot of popular Christian music today comes from churches that hold some of that prosperity theology. Should we avoid that music altogether so that we don't like financially aid them and spreading their doctrines? Or should we just make sure we avoid songs that explicitly state incorrect theology? Uh, one of my friends said God can work through churches you know, such as these and through different teachers. We just need to chew the meat and spit out the bones. Um, I know God can do anything he wants, but what's our obligation to truth as Christ followers? We know that the goal of Christian unity was very important to Jesus. How do we reconcile that calling while at the same time marking and avoiding false teachers and doctrine which goes against the Bible? How gray is this line between different theological differences and outright heresy? Mm, That's a big question. It's a big question, and it's a really good question. So uh, I back it up for a second. So let's just define what a prosperity gospel is. So prosperity gospel is a gospel that says that if you have faith and if you exercise that faith, God will prosper you. Mm. So the most egregious symbols or, or illustrations of that are if you send in a hundred dollars, God will seed it, your seed faith, God will grow it to a thousand. Um, other examples of this would be like, if you have faith, I'll do a miracle for you right now um, on the street with cameras rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, if you come to my service and we take an offering and you walk up here, I'll smack you in the forehead and and um, 
and you'll be healed. And then it goes all the way over to God wants to bless you. He wants you to be happy, and he is an advocate for you, right? Mm -hmm. So when I say prosperity gospel, I'm mostly talking about the far end of that. So what what we would think of as TV preachers, Uh, the guys with the private jets and, and the guys that are uh, manipulating people's faith and using their pain and leaning and manipulating their hopes to get money out of them. So the people that they serve uh, may be impoverished, and then they are living in uh you know, $20 million mansions with a $65 million jet and limos and, and, and gross, gross abuse of the gospel. Now, those types of people are false teachers and should be labeled as such because mm-hmm. the Scripture labels them. Mm-hmm. So this is very different than a church financially supporting a pastor, which the Bible says we should do or mm-hmm. could do. Yeah. So the Bible talks about unmuzzling the ox. Paul says, if I, if I serve the gospel, the gospel should serve me. So it is not a sin to pay a pastor. Right. It is not a sin to um, pay a pastor at a level that, that he can have uh, a nice home or a solid car, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about looking at somebody and saying, if you want Jesus to deliver you from your pain— if you want Jesus to deliver you from your poverty, you give me money, mm. and I will, uh, in a unique and special and secretive way, intervene with Jesus and get you that money. Um, if you are uh, uh, paraplegic or you have a cancer, if you give me money and you come and see me, I will smack you in the head and I will heal you from those things. Mm -hmm. That is not the healing that Jesus did. Jesus never charged for (laughs) healing. He would often heal in secret. Mm -hmm. So they're manipulating the Scripture, they're manipulating the truth of the Scripture to get money. And uh, Peter and Paul both say that is a classic sign of a false teacher. Another classic sign of a false teacher is one who uses their spiritual authority to exercise power over you. Hmm. So you have to have my permission to live your life. You have to have my permission to go and to come. And And uh, the Bible specifically says that those of us who are elders should not lord our authority over those that we serve. We should serve them yep. and love them. So the pastor on the pedestal, the pastor with the private parking spot, the the pastor with you know the thousand dollar suit, like or you know five thousand dollars suit. I'm like, eh, be really really careful. And and I am elder so and so, and you, I have greater status than you have. When James specifically says, uh, don't act like that. So it's when these guys go against scripture. Mm-hmm. And when they go against Scripture blatantly, that you absolutely label them or identify them as a false teacher and a false prophet. So that's like a category. The next category is more difficult because the next category is people who disagree theologically. So 
we are in a conservative theological camp, so to say. And there are others who would be in more of a charismatic camp. I don't think all charismatic pastors are false teachers. Sure, no. And I don't think that all conservative pastors are false teachers. The conservative side tends to be the controlling false teacher. Mm -hmm. The charismatic side tends to be the give-me-your-money false teacher. So I think in between those two places are... Uh, honest disagreements about theology and honest disagreements about how to implement the spiritual mandates of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that godly people can disagree about those things as long as, this is a big one, as long as the scripture is not compromised, the gospel is not clouded, and leadership is done in love. Hmm. That's really, really good. So if you don't have those three things, your radar needs to go up. So my charismatic pastor friends looking at me and saying, we think the Holy Spirit is more active and is more publicly active than you think the Holy Spirit is, is a honest theological disagreement, but as long as they're within the bounds of the Scripture, we can have that disagreement. Sure. Um, the, when my charismatic friends say, um, when you receive Christ, as long as they are preaching salvation by grace through faith, they are not clouding the gospel. Hmm. And when they genuinely love their congregation— your congregation might be bigger, might be smaller. That's probably going to affect your paycheck. But they genuinely love their congregation. They are not abusing them for money. But a, one congregation is able to, uh, a congregation in a wealthy suburb is going to be able to care for their pastor in a different way than a congregation in an inner city. Sure. Yep. Right? Absolutely. So as long as they're not using their people, they're within bounds. Where I'm going to start to disagree is when we, cla- when we get outside the bounds of the Scripture, we cloud the gospel. And this has nothing to do with being charismatic or being conservative. So I'm going to disagree um, that you must be baptized in order to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. I cannot agree with that. Now, that doesn't mean that I hate you that we go to war, but I'm going to look at your church, I'm going to say, I don't believe they're, I believe they're clouding or complicating the gospel. I do not believe that you must speak in tongues in order to demonstrate that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I'm going to look over there, and I'm going to say, I cannot agree with that. You're clouding the gospel. So we have a theological agreement. We're viewing the Bible very, very differently. That doesn't mean the pastor's abusing the people. Sure. Yep. See how it works? Yep, so you start good. getting into those conversations, and, and those are where the, our friend asked, the, the, the listener asked, like, how gray is that line? I'm like, those are where those lines start to gray. And to be honest with you, I'm hesitant to label groups or churches that I don't know. Sure, I yeah. will label a theology like uh, baptismal regeneration. Mm-hmm. And I will label a theology like the, the speaking in tongues as evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
that church, I'm like, I want to be real careful because I, especially if the pastor's abusing the people, I'll get on him. Mm -hmm. But if he's not abusing the people, if he's trying to stay faithful to the Word of God and we disagree theologically, we may have strong disagreements about parts of theology and we may have unity about other parts of theology. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to be careful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you mentioned something like if someone falls into one of these, you know, they're abusing the gospel, they're abusing their followers, they're they're twisting everything to be more about a money grab, that it's okay to go ahead and, like, label one of these leaders um, as a false teacher. Yes. What does that mean? Does that mean, like, we go on a campaign and we start telling everybody, like, how dare you, you should never listen to this pastor? Does that just mean we should avoid them? Like... What is the actual verb that we should latch onto when we're labeling a pastor in that kind of regard? I definitely think we should avoid them, and I think we should warn others not to be caught in their trap. Mm. Um, I think there's plenty of people on the internet who are going on big campaigns. Yeah. So I don't feel a need to be involved with that. But if you asked me my opinion about a certain pastor privately, I would tell you. I believe that they are a false teacher. Yeah. And some of them who are egregious, um, the Kenneth Copelands of the world, <laughs> um, I'm, I have no qualm about um, calling a false teacher. Um, and there are others, I'm just not going to sit here and make a list right now, but I'm like, that's a false teacher. The closer you get to that gray area, the more careful I become sure. in, in what I'm uh, accusing someone of. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know if that pastor... I know pastors who are very, very wealthy, and they don't draw a salary from their church. Sure. So they have a book that sold 40 million copies. They have an album that took off. They have. It's almost like they have a second source of income. I'm sensitive to that because Heidi and I own businesses. Sure, yeah. Right? So... I look at that and I'm like, but I know, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, Rick Warren, mm-hmm. he wrote The Purpose Driven Life. He personally wrote that. When that book took off, he gave back to the church all the salary they ever invested in him. Yeah. Now, do I agree with everything Rick Warren says and does? No. <laughs> but I'm like, that was classy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think he uses people. I don't agree with him on all of his theology, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, he's not sitting on television saying, if you're poor and you want to be rich, and he is looking at his church and saying, I have a source of income now, you don't need to care for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that, he didn't have to do that. No, he didn't. And I bet you his house is bigger than mine. (laughs) Sure. So we we have to be careful, or, or we start accusing the brethren, and, and we start leveling accusations against elders, when it is egregious and when it is obvious that people are using the gospel for personal gain, power, and wealth, that needs to be called out for what it is. I think these distinctions are really important because, like, when you use the phrase, I'm not sure I agree with their theology, we all have to be careful that, like, there are these categories or these egregiousnesses that we have to pay attention to, because I don't know that we would agree 100% with anyone 
on theology. Like you and I are probably very, very close. Yeah. I'm sure there's something that we're like, actually, I think about it a little bit differently. Right. And, 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 and I don't know that person. Right. So I, as, as a person, I mean, is to be personal here for a second, as a person who gets accused of a lot of stuff that I never said or did, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, it's not uncommon for me to get a phone call and email and, and people are like, uh, you said, quote, da, 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 da. I'm like, I never said, quote, what are you talking? What are you talking about? I have literally no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I ha- maybe I have a unique empathy yeah. um, for, for those very, very public figures, but I want to keep, I also want to have a unity. Mm-hmm. I don't need another church that proclaims the gospel to close their doors and go under. Right. right. I need them to fight on. And so, if they're per, if it's a false gospel, I think we have to stand up against it. And there's a lot of false gospels, and we've talked about uh, prosperity gospel. We haven't talked about wokeism. We haven't talked about progressivism. Mm-hmm. Like that's a whole other level of false gospel that has to be uh, you know mm-hmm. called out and addressed and warned about. Um, I don't need to go looking for fights. Yeah, with stuff, it, it's not until I feel like I have to protect. And I have to shepherd that that I'm going to go and go really go after somebody or name them out loud. Yeah, that's really really important. I, I like how you're saying <laughs> we don't need other gospel preaching churches to close their doors because someone figured out a way to use a disagreement to get them to shut down. Um, that is not healthy, not helpful, and all the rest. Um, now, one of the other things that they mention, and I think music is a very unique facet of all this, how do we engage the, kind of the, the music field of all this, Jeff? Because um, there are people out there that if we were creating a list, you would probably say, you should not listen to this pastor, you yeah. should not listen to the resources of teaching that this church gives us. But let's but sing that song. But let's sing that song. Yeah. How does that play out? So here's what's funny. Um or not. <laughs> uh, that question is not new. Hmm. So that question, I, I'm kind of assuming from the way that this is this is phrased, that this comes from a person who's been around church. If you go pull out your hymnal, from if you even know what one is, <laughs> um, Grace Church is going to go through that hymnal and decide not to sing certain songs. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So we are going to look at a song, and, and this is the way that our music, uh, our worship leaders do it. We're going to look at a song, and we're going to say, do we agree with the theology and the doctrine and the statements of that song? Mm-hmm. If we do, we are open to using it. If we do not, we will not use it. And we've even changed words to yep. songs before. Um. About 10 years ago, the most popular song that Grace Church sang was 600 years old. It was just rewritten with a band. Yeah. And um, we were going through the hymnal, and we were saying, not that one, not that one, that one's a little too, that one's a little too much, that one. And we're, we're, so I believe local church and local church elders need to go through and say, uh, this is what we we know reinforces what God has called us to teach, and mm-hmm. this is a deterrent to it. We do the same thing with authors. Sure. So we're like, this is a book, 
like uh, we're we're talking in a meeting just yesterday about our our summer teaching series, and we're going to use. Uh, uh, probably going to use a book by J.D. Greer. And I'm like, we should buy that book and make it available to people. Well, I just I just made a big statement. Yeah. And I don't buy all of his books. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yep. So that is discernment, and that, I believe, strongly is what local elders are for. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they process that, they listen to it. The average person in the chair is not going to look and say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe... And then even if we don't agree with everything the person uh, who wrote it would think or teach, it doesn't mean that that song is not something that God can speak and bless us through. Sure. So this that is not a new dilemma. No. That, that is something... You're talking back to Martin Luther. Yep. And, um, and I wouldn't sing half the songs he wrote anyways. <laughs> so th- you have to discern that and you have to go through it. If you're more of a grounded Christ follower with a grounded view of the Scripture, the more you open up to that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I might listen to all kinds of songs, and I'm like, uh, my favorite one, I like to use as an example, is there's a song called Holy Spirit, Rain Down, Come Into This Place, and I'm like, he's here already. <laughs> he walked in with all the Christians <laughs> that walked in because he's within us. But I actually like to sing that song personally. Mm-hmm. I reinterpret it through truth. Sure. We don't sing that song publicly because yep. I don't have a context to explain it. Yep. So you just kind of feel that through. If you sing a lot of, if you look at a lot of the old hymns, uh, they're not as theologically sound as you might think they are. And then it, especially if you like old, like, um, gospel-y hymns, mm-hmm. uh, those get really wacky, and they're old-fashioned. Yeah. But when you listen to the... Uh, the theology behind those songs. You're like, ooh, yikes. Mm-hmm. But you're receiving that differently yeah, as yep. an individual. So as a church, a local eldership should oversee that. Mm-hmm. As an individual, you should discern it. And the, there are certainly some of these pastors that dip their toe into helping write lyrics and stuff like that, but not all of the songs that we're talking about are written by the pastor that we might be addressing. That's right. And so, for instance, I'll personally do everything I can, Jeff, to help make sure you don't go off the rails. <laughs> but if you did, I hope that we wouldn't discredit all of our listeners, all of the people in our church, and everything all of these individuals have done for the Lord and devoted their lives to simply because their pastor bailed on a truth or bailed on something. Well, I tell you, the example of this that's real-time is Ravi Zacharias. Mm. So Ravi Zacharias is a world-class apologist. He has defended and explained the scriptures to tens of millions of people. After he died, mm-hmm. it was discovered that he was living an immoral life. Yeah, terrible, yep. So do you throw out all of his books? <sighs> is the truth that he wrote about discredited or is he discredited? Right. And I give no excuse, and I do not believe whatsoever that we should gloss over sin, but we read the Psalms and sing them, and David wrote them. (laughs) Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm like, we have to remember that flawed human beings are giving us the tools and the thinking about a perfect God. And, and so we have to be—I would just weigh that. Uh-huh. Like, Ravi Zacharias 
deeply wounded the credibility of the kingdom, and he um, devastated, I'm sure, his family. I don't oh. know his family, but I'm sure his family. It doesn't mean that his books and the knowledge within them are useless. Sure. Just like David murdered, was an adulterer, his family was a disaster, we still quote the 23rd Psalm a lot. Yeah. You know? So it, it's that kind of stuff that you're, you, you have to weigh it through. I think that's why local eldership of a church is important. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, funny, I was just meeting with our elders last night. We were dealing with a theological issue, and I was like, men, you are the end of the line for theological decisions at this church. Yep. And I'm a part of that. So we made a decision. I think we made a great one because we have really wonderful, loving, godly men who lead us. So I'm like, yeah, you do that with music. Mm-hmm. We do that with all kinds of things. And then you personally discern it. Yeah. That's really, really helpful. And I hope that as uh, this listener and the rest of us are engaging this, that we can sense what we've really been talking about through all of mixed messages. This is much more about cutting through all the noise and how do we run after what Jesus wants from us. And so just because we can get bombarded by um, a a, a false teacher here or whatever does not mean we have to go run down all those rabbit trails. It means how do we cut that noise out of our life, maybe even help other people cut that noise out of their life, but then run after what Jesus is asking us to do. Well, if you have questions that are like this or around any other topic, you can always submit those at bath.gracechurches.org slash mixed messages. And if we can help you take any unique next steps, whether it's certain reading resources, music resources, or maybe you need to have a conversation about someone that you think maybe you've been listening to, like, wait a minute, is this person a false teacher? We can have that conversation. We'd love to help uh, walk that journey with you as well. If you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more of it, make sure you subscribe, follow, rate, and review our podcast. And if you're looking for a community of people to run after Jesus with, you can always join us here at Grace Church on the weekend. Thank you for jumping in with us today as we continue to seek God's voice through all the mixed messages around us. See you next time.